It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Good morning. Welcome uh, to the fourth and final week of our series, Chasing Purpose. Now, uh, had great, lots of great feedback uh, coming in from this series, which is always encouraging to me to know that we're kind of, you know, speaking a word in season for people's lives. Uh, if you are one of the advanced students, as some of you are, we did a series around this idea of God's will back in 2014. I know some of you weren't even born in 2014. 2014, um, called God's Will is Whatever. And in fact, uh, I was reminded of this series because uh, oh, my memory doesn't stretch back to 2014 Sundays. Um, by w- week one of this series, Chasing Purpose, uh, Reese and Jess, we, we preached that in lockdown uh, back a few weeks ago. And they told me later that they exclaimed to one another during the the week one message of Chasing Purpose, oh, we should go back and re-listen to um, the series God's Will is Whatever, which Reese will tell you was a a game changer for him. And so that's still alive uh, on the podcast interwebs space as well. So encourage you to go back and catch up on that if you weren't here in 2014. Now, I wanna start today with a public service announcement nursery rhymes. These things that some of you cruel parents uh, or educators have taught to your children uh, and you haven't taken responsibility to really understand the potential downstream consequences of teaching your kids nursery rhymes. Because if you haven't picked up on it already, Many of the nursery rhymes that you have taught the next generations are incredibly traumatizing. Let me start with this one. Rockabye, baby, even the graphics should give you a clue that this is not gonna go well. Rockabye, baby, in the treetop, when the bough breaks, the cradle will uh, fall and down will come baby, cradle and all. Peter Peter, pumpkin eater, had a wife and he couldn't keep her, but he put her in a pumpkin shell and there he kept her very well. I have two nursery rhymes in and we already have a dead baby and a domestic hostage situation, okay? This is not cool, people. Don't flag the uh, animal rights activists if you ever want to start talking about three blind mice. I'm not going there this morning. There's already been enough trauma in the last minute. And then there's this one. Uplifting. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. But it's okay. Because then all the king's horses and all the king's men came along. But couldn't put Humpty together again. Look, I'll I'll give the writer of this one credit. I think this is probably the most honest one of all of these nursery rhymes because actually life can get this way sometimes, right? You can feel broken and helpless and maybe you've screamed out, you know, how do I get back together again? We've been talking in this series, uh, 
using a metaphor of God's free way of purpose. This idea of getting into God's purpose, God's plans, God's will. It actually starts with a one size fits all for all Jesus followers. There's like a list, if you like, a one size fits all list that we're all called to do, all of us. And that's like God's multi-laned, multi-speed free way of purpose. So let's all get on that. And then within that free way, we can start exploring the more bespoke, specific aspects of God's will for us. The question I wanna ask today is, what do you do if and when you've crushed your life on God's freeway of purpose? What, what if you've actually hit the side rails or worse still, maybe gone off and over the rails, Tiger Woods style? Too soon? Too soon? Too soon? No, I mean, made the news. Maybe you squandered a job opportunity. You know, you got your dream job and yet you didn't maybe take it seriously as, as you ought to have. Maybe you uh, launched a business that you felt God was calling you to and it, and it didn't succeed and you're thinking, well, well that's great. And you, you're stalled out on the side of the road. Maybe you completed a course of study and then you got into that field only to discover that the, the course you chose when you were 17 years old, now that you're 21, 22, it's like, actually, I don't really think this is what... I meant to be doing with my life and it feels like I've just burnt four years of daylight. You know, maybe it's the classic ones. You, you've, you've had a failed, failed marriage. You know, you've experienced divorce and you're thinking, well, that's great. Uh, maybe it's addiction. You're struggling to break free. You know, these, the, these things are real and they may be your situation now. They may be your situation in your rear view mirror or, and I don't want to speak uh, poorly over you, but they may very well be your situation at some point in the future or if you think you are 100% bulletproof, your life is fail safe, then listen for a friend, okay, to the next 25 minutes because you will, you will meet people and you will know people who at times in their lives will crash on God's freeway purpose and they're gonna wonder, is that it? Is that it? Am, I, am I done? You know, because when you're sitting on the side of the road broken down, you're asking the question, what do I do next? You know, literally in real life, do I call roadside assist? Do I get an Uber? Do what, you know, what, what do I do next? And we can be sitting stuck on the side of God's freeway of purpose and find ourselves asking the same question. Well, great. Yeah. This sucks. What am I supposed to do next? And this morning, and by the way, that's an important question. I mean, don't just sit there sitting on your hands. But this morning, I wanna maybe put it to you that there's a better question, a better first question. And that question is, when you crash your life on God's freeway of purpose, what does Jesus do next? What's his next move in response to what's happened in your life? Now, if you uh, haven't uh, heard of him, there's a guy named Jesus, uh, lived 2,000 years and change ago, uh, entered the public arena like, officially, full-time, into the public arena when he was 30. And, and the reason for that is he kind of entered the public arena in the role of a rabbi. And rabbis, uh, by the Jewish law, they weren't uh, permitted to start their rabbidom uh, until they were 30. So if you ever, well, why did Jesus wait till 30? That's the, that's the reason, okay? You can uh, impress your friends at the next dinner party with that. And what a rabbi would do once they've sort of declared themselves in the public arena as a rabbi, they would go and find, handpick 12 disciples. 12, it was men then, 
12 men that they would mentor over a period of time. That's just what rabbis did. So that's exactly what Jesus did. He went and handpicked 12 guys to become his disciples as, as a rabbi. But, you know, some of you uh, have uh, discovered that Jesus was more than a rabbi, but this was the, the, the kicking off point for him. Two of the guys that he picked, uh, a guy named Peter and there was a guy named Judas. They were two of the handpicked 12. We don't really... Uh, get to kind of hear and see much about Judas during Jesus' three and a half years of public rabbidom. Uh, he was the CFO of Jesus Incorporated. That was kind of all, mostly what we knew about him. He was the treasurer. Um, Peter, on the other hand, he kept popping up in that three and a half years. You know, I mean, Jesus actually went looking for him. He went, Peter was a fisherman. Likely, it was like the family business. He would have been young, maybe, like either side of 20. And Jesus went to him at the Sea of Galilee and said, Hey, Peter, uh, I want you to actually leave your nets, leave your boat, and come follow me. And I'll teach you to how to become a fisher of people. And Peter did that, which was, would have been spectacularly confusing to some of his family. Uh, he was, Peter was the first person to publicly declare and acknowledge that Jesus was the Son of God, was who he was saying he was. He was the first person. I believe you're the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the one we've been waiting for. Jesus was like, bravo, Peter. That was him. So the, the, you know, he, he featured a bit more prominently. Having said that, both of these two, Judas and Peter, very much bubbled to the surface right around the time of Jesus' arrest and death by crucifixion. Judas, because he was the one that betrayed Jesus to the religious leaders, they, they, they probably tricked him a little bit uh, into like, we're, we're not gonna, you know, we're gonna like, if you turn him in, we're gonna maybe give him a stern talking to, stop being so popular, stop being such a threat to us, but, but didn't sort of maybe disclose that they were gonna arrest him and have him killed. So anyway, so Judas played that role around the time of Jesus' death, betrayed him to the religious leaders. And Peter uh, rose to infamy moments after that when him, he and the other 11 were out in the wild and on three separate occasions, people recognized Peter and said, hey, because word was getting around that Jesus had been arrested. And they're like, hey, you're, you, you're one of the... 12, you were with Jesus. Yeah, I recognize you. And on three separate occasions, Peter denied that. No, 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 no. Must be someone else. Uh, in fact, at one point, he, he even denied ever having even known Jesus, let alone be one of the 12. So I think it's fair to say that both Judas in his betrayal and Peter in his denial had, had in those moments crashed their lives on God's freeway of purpose. The hand-picked, two of the hand-picked 12 are now sitting on the side of the freeway. And I wonder if they were asking themselves, what do I do next? And again, there's a better question. What does Jesus do next? Well, I'm gonna show you what Jesus does next. If you've got your Bible or Bible app, open it to John. Now, John's one of the four accounts of uh, Jesus' three and a half years and bit of preview stuff early on as well. Uh, John was one of the handpicked 12. So he wrote very much, wrote this account of Jesus' public life from a front row seat, uh, eyewitness front row seat. 
In, in, in chapter 21 of John's account, this is how he records those moments. Uh, we, we actually, I'm going to pick up Jesus, just I'll fast forward through this, uh, had been killed on a cross, put in a tomb. The tomb was discovered empty three days later. Jesus appeared to a bunch of, of followers in an upper room. Over 500 eyewitnesses are like, whoa, what, you dead? Yeah, but I'm back. And uh, oh, fantastic. Well, then, and then this is, the, this is another scene of Jesus going. So later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee, the very sea that he called Peter initially to leave his boats and come follow him. Where, what, what's happening now in Peter's life, having denied he even knew Jesus? Well, this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, that's Peter, Simon Peter. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. <laughs> Not significant enough to be named personally. <laughs> Talk about stiffed. Simon Peter said, hey, I'm going fishing. And the other boys said, well, we'll come too. They all said, so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And by the way, people spiritualize this. The devil had clouded their eye. They were 100 meters away and it was probably foggy, okay? That's the spiritual explanation for, for that, all right? Boy, people complicate this stuff. At John, Jesus was standing, the disciples couldn't see who he was. So Jesus called out, Oi, fellows, have you caught any fish? Uh, <clears throat> you know, ex-professional fishermen. Uh, <clears throat> embarrassing. Uh, no, they replied. Well, then he said, uh, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and then you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there was so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, and I have to underline every time this comes up. That's John. The guy writing this, who, by the way, earlier had declared that, that Jesus loved the whole world. But now, all of a sudden, he doesn't love the whole world. He just loves John. All right. So the disciple Jesus loved, John, me, the guy writing this, said to Peter, <clears throat> Peter, the guy who had denied even knowing Jesus three times, John said to Peter, It's, uh, it's, it's the Lord. What soundtrack do you think was playing in Peter's head the very moment that he realized that Jesus had come looking for him? Was it... Was it? Oh, that was a beautiful moment. Thank you, Jared. We, we uh, just for the record, we actually didn't even arrange to do that. So uh, there you go. That's, that's the Jared, everyone, the guy that wrote the internet. Um, well, the answer to the question in Peter's mind and the answer to what you and I might think the soundtrack was really 100% depends on who we think Jesus is and how we think Jesus responds to people who have crashed their lives 
on God's freeway of purpose, Peter being one of them. The good thing that Peter had is Peter had had a front row seat to Jesus' life, nature, character, teaching, example, miracles for three and a half years, right? So John recorded what Peter did. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, Jesus, he put on his tunic, for he'd stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. In other words, Peter went full chariots of fire mode. By the way, Jared, you did once share with me that in your teenage years, you had the goal of becoming a walking, talking karaoke machine. And I think we've now made that dream come one step closer to reality. See, Peter knew enough about how Jesus treats people who've crashed their lives to know that don't run from him, run to him. Don't hide, don't duck, don't cover, don't jump on the other side of the boat and swim to the other side of the lake. Oh my God, Jesus, he's gonna get me. He's gonna catch me. He heard what I did. Yeah, he heard what you did. And Peter knew that Jesus knew and his play was the pro move, was the I actually know who Jesus is move, that I'm gonna run to him, not from him. Well, the others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire. Mm, delicious. And some bread. These knuckleheads, half a dozen of them that had been handpicked by Jesus, taught, showing everything for three and a half years, were now back fishing. They'd gone 180 and now they'd gone 180 back. And Jesus brought them breakfast. Jesus See, their value, even though they'd failed Jesus, even though Peter especially had crashed his life on God's freeway of purpose, their value and Peter's value had not changed in the eyes of Jesus. It doesn't mean he liked what they did, doesn't mean he approved of what they did, but their value, their worth hadn't changed. And Jesus demonstrated that by coming to serve them. The king of kings, the Lord of Lords, who had just endured death and, and, and risen again for all of humankind, went to look for the people who are meant to have been at his side at his most tormented moment, and yet they actually went to Splitsville. He came fully prepared to serve because their value hadn't changed. And if you've ever crashed your life on God's freeway of purpose, you need to know, even in that moment, even in the ensuing moments and days and weeks and months, however long that season lasts for your value in Jesus' eyes never changes. And he's gonna come looking for you because he wants to serve you. So the best play is to run to him because he's actually got something for you to get you back on God's freeway of purpose. Now compare Peter's response of running to Jesus with Judas's next move when he realized that he'd crashed his life 
on God's free purpose. This is recorded by Matthew, another one of the hand-picked 12. He recorded this. When Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver, which is what the religious leaders had sort of paid him to, to, to give Jesus over, took it back to the leading priests and the elders and said, I have sinned, he declared, for I've betrayed an innocent man. Well, what do we care? They retorted, that's your problem. Well, then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. We have literally the most starkest contrast that we could ever hope for as to what our best move is once we realize we've crashed our lives on God's free of purpose. Judas went to religion and religion does what religion does. Religion, so religion did what religion does, which is to say, your life's broken, not our problem. You go and fix it yourself. And maybe when you do, you can come back and join the perfect people, the religious people, us, <laughs> maybe, if you can. And, and Judas immediately realized there was no hope in that. Couldn't be done. And went out and hung himself. Peter, instead of going to religion, because those guys were still around, instead of going to religion, he went to Jesus and got a completely different response. He got a response that was about rebooting his life back on God's freeway of purpose. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, this is Peter, do you love me more than these? The other five, it's like, yeah, sure, yes, yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Well, then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yeah, yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Well, then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? <laughs> this is hilarious. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. You denied knowing him three times, Peter. Suck it up, mate. You can't blame Jesus for wanting to get, I just wanna make triple sure, not doubly sure, triple sure, okay? Peter, quit with the offense, mate. You started this. Oh, all right. <laughs> Simon, son of John, do you love? Peter was, he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus put him back on God's freeway of purpose. Said, feed my sheep. See, even by the way, before we get to that part, Peter swum to the shore, he's gone and he's had the breakfast. He still hasn't heard Jesus say exactly what Jesus wanted to say to him. So, you know, there was still potentially a little bit of an awkwardness in the air, like, okay, now that we've finished breakfast, can we maybe like talk about what I did? Talk about like what you're gonna do? My future is, do I even have it? And, uh, Jesus gave him an opportunity to repent. Now, this word, repent, is not a very popular word in our culture. And by the way, it's not even a popular word in some church cultures. It's like, huh? Well, first of all, let me explain what the word literally means. It literally means to turn around 180 degrees. 
to recognize that the direction you're heading, the things you're doing, the way your life is going, the, the things you've done, the things that have caused you to crash on the God's freeway purpose, you actually need to not just feel sorry about them because, you know, Judas felt sorry, Peter felt sorry. You need to actually demonstrate that the result of your sorrow, the genuine, you know, actions speak louder than words, people, is that I'm, I'm, I actually, I don't just wanna convey that I'm sorry. I actually, if you give me a second chance, I'm not gonna do that again. I'm gonna turn around. I'm going to repent. And Jesus gave him that opportunity. Jesus gave Peter a second chance. Now, Paul wrote something to the church in Corinth. Now, Paul wasn't one of the hand-picked uh, 12. He, in fact, he recognized Jesus being the son of God uh, later after these events had happened when Jesus appeared to him personally. And he went on to become, by the way, he was, his job at that time was killing Christians to try and smother the, the growing church. So that's on his resume. And Jesus comes to him, Paul, and says, uh, you know, the killing Christian thing, can, can you stop that? Like, it's not really working for me. And Paul's like, yeah, okay, sure. I mean, you, you look like you're the son of God. I'll do whatever. I mean, you died and, and come back from the dead. I'm, I'm, I'm going with you. Great. And Paul went on to become the, 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 one of the leaders of the early church. And Jesus put him on God's freeway of purpose. And one of those churches is in Greece, a place called Corinth. One of the letters Paul wrote, let me drop you into a slice of that. This is like, for the kind of sorrow... God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, oh, I'm sorry, which lacks repentance, which lacks turning around, which lacks a result in wanting to act and speak and live differently results in spiritual death. Peter did the first, Judas did the second. Peter did the kind of sorrow and expressed the kind of sorrow to Jesus that led him away from sin and resulted in salvation. And there's no regret. See, Peter went on to become one of the heavyweights of the early church as well. This guy that had denied even knowing Jesus three times didn't have to live with and carry around regret because he'd experienced, he'd, he'd, he'd demonstrated the kind of sorrow that leads him away from sin and resulted in his salvation. Judas went to the religious leaders and went, oh boy, I just realized I messed up. I'm, 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 I feel terrible. But didn't change anything because religion doesn't give us a second chance. Religion just reminds us that we've screwed up. Tells us that it's our fault for screwing up. It's our job to then to fix it. We're busy, you know, over here being perfect. Uh, and there's no, hope, there's no hope in that and it ultimately results in spiritual death. And, and as I was preparing this message, I, I kind of wonder why I hadn't thought of it sooner because um, I'm like really smart. And uh, I was thinking about it. What, like, this, okay, this is a rhetorical question, everybody. What, how different would things have turned out for Judas If when he realized that he'd been tricked a little bit and that Jesus was actually gonna be condemned to death, that instead of him going to the religious leaders with his worldly sorrow, that he 
would have instead gone to the foot of the cross that Jesus was being nailed to and looked Jesus in the eyes and said, uh, my Lord, I, I, I am so sorry. I feel like literally responsible for this. Could, could you ever possibly forgive me? And the reason it's a rhetorical question is because I know, I know the answer. I know, I know the, in fact, I'll give you the exact words to the answer that Jesus would have spoken to Judas if he'd gone to, Peter, to Jesus instead of the religious leaders. Judas would have been included in Jesus' unbelievable prayer. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He would have been included in the audience that Jesus blanketed with forgiveness. And from that moment, he could have experienced the kind of life that leads him away from sin. We, we, we would have been potentially reading about the churches that he launched. We would have potentially read some letters that he wrote. And, and, and because Jesus is not in the condemnation business, he's in the restoration business. See, anybody can point to stuff that's broken. Any of you and I can, can walk into a house that, that's in need of restoration and point out what's wrong. Oh, walls need painting. Oh, floorboards cracked. Oh, tiles have fallen off. I mean, sure, I can do that. I can't fix any of those things. I can point them out, but what's the, there's no value in that. The value comes when you can point out, like identify what needs fixing and then insert yourself into the narrative, into the story that's gonna say, and I am going to be spearheading your restoration project. I'm gonna use other people. I might use counselors. I might use friends. I might use teams. I might use Elevate groups. I might use prayer. I'll probably use all of those things. I mean, why not? But all of it is to give you a second chance. So here's the thing. And as I mentioned at the beginning, this might not be for you because your life's going good at the moment. You're on the freeway. You're doing 110. Speed limit's 110. Good to go. Think you've maybe even found your lane. Like, well, that's great. I mean, that is great. And I pray that that continues for you. But if it doesn't, bank this. Bank this. This is instructive. And if you know people, that think that because they've blown it, they've crashed, that, that it's game over for them. You can be someone that says, no, because let me show you what Jesus does with people like you in the situation you found yourself in. And there's hope in that. There's future in that. We sang a song earlier. You can kind of hear it building in the background. It's not Chariots of Fire, uh, which doesn't have lyrics. So there's that. Um, Graves into gardens. And one of the songs on our Elevate Spotify playlist, and it's not advertising for that, one of the songs on that is called, Is There Nothing You Can't Do? Again, it's a rhetorical question. And declaring all of these miracles that God's done throughout history. And this song is very much about that. And, and, and I mean, maybe you don't know all the backstory of all the songs, but trust me, this song's a reminder that there is nothing that God can't do. God, is there anything you can't do? Uh, no, not really. So let's stand and I want you, us, we, us, to just to, to declare this, declare this over your life, declare this in recognition of who God is, declare that the same God 
who restored Peter can restore you, can restore your friends, can restore your family. There's nothing that he can't We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love you to join us for one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information about our great Elevate Kids and Elevate Youth environments, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me, and also download our Elevate Church AU app.